0: Turn my mic on, it works so much better. Good morning, Good Shepherd. Uh, Whether you are live stream or live, I'm Talbot Davis. I am the pastor here. I'm always glad to be able to engage back with you as you've made that commitment to come and engage with us. And we're in this series all about real relationships, not phony connections, not fake friendships. And the way that this particular message series has gone, as you may notice, there's a board behind me And uh, we've been using this board. It's all about how relationships bond and mature and strengthen. And you'll see how it works in just a little bit. Today's message is called Commit. And uh, the the, uh, message on commit comes from, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate John chapter 15 and verses 4 through 7. We'll also be looking at Hebrews chapter 13. But in the meantime, be looking. Maybe your Bible's loaded on your phone, or maybe you have a Bible that actually looks like mine does. If you have either one of those options, find John chapter 15. If you don't, if you're like, whoa, I didn't even know there was a Bible app on your phone and I didn't bring my Bible to church because that would be like, religious or something and 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 you're like what do i do well it's it's okay you're in good shape you're at the right place because all the words will be up on the screen at just the right time and and so you will be able to see the scripture for yourself and and we love for you to see the bible for yourself because there's a couple of things that we believe about the bible and one of them is that even though this looks suspiciously like a book this is not a book it's a library It's a collection of a lot of books written by many authors over a long span of time. And here's the really vital thing to know, multiple writing styles. So the Gospel of John is in the biography section of the biblical library. It's a biography of Jesus. And and a lot of people don't know that. It's just kind of a fact. The second thing that we believe about the Bible here at Good Shepherd moves to that realm of treasured conviction, and and it's this. We believe that there's no other library like it, that God put his truth onto its pages. He breathed his life into its words. The Bible really is inspired and eternal and true. You may not believe this yet, and that's okay. We're glad you're here. We just want to be honest with what we believe. We actually believe. We actually believe that if you're reading along in the Bible and, and you come across something that unsettles you or that you disagree with hello the Bible's right and you're wrong we, we, we dare to believe that because we believe the Bible really is inspired by God and out of that conviction comes this custom that when we talk about the Bible here we lift it up and again you may think well that, first of all you tell me you actually believe it now you're telling me you actually lift it up this is just strange and, and yeah it is But we've decided that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we really are a collection of people who do not have life figured out, but we know who does. And because we know he does, we're glad to surrender to his authority. Amen? Amen. So before I say anything else, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and all his goodness and the way that he inspired John to be an absolute genius in telling Jesus' story. And I just pray that some of that goodness and joy and fullness of the Holy Spirit, you would would actually make that fall on me now for this message and on all those within the sound of my voice. Because I'm really glad to admit that I am powerless without you. But because of you, I never have been, never will be helpless. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we are in this real relationships series, and it's been fun, and it's been interactive. And if you haven't been here uh, for any of them, that's okay. We're glad you're here today. But I've really enjoyed having parents come up to me and tell me how they're teenagers are assessing their own relationships according to this particular model and the, the relationship model we're following in, involves no trust rely commit touch let's say those words cuz it helps so much no trust rely commit touch. And the thing is, you, you want in healthy relationships, you want to know someone deeply before you trust them completely. And you want to trust them before you rely on them. And, and, and you want to rely on them even before you commit to them. And that touch is kind of the, kind of the, the crowning t- touch of it all, especially romantic relationships. And, and what this model helps us see is, is that as relationships, and when I talk about relationships, I'm talking about romance, I'm talking about friends, I'm talking about work, I'm talking about church. But it always helps us see that we want to keep it moving along this continuum. And the classic example, when when relationships go wrong, is that you know somebody this much, you meet them, you meet them for dinner, and then you stay for breakfast, and you've touched somebody intimately who you don't know at all. And and, and that and this is not good. And this is how relationships really get out of whack. Some of you have actually lived this. And, and I'm so grateful that you trust me enough to, to tell me these kind of things about your life. And and, and so this just helps us keep this our, our understanding of relational health kind of at the forefront of our minds. And today, it's about commit. Commitment. Being commit. Ted. And the thing that I know, uh, notice about commitments is that they are relatively easy to make and desperately hard to keep. That we like making commitments. We kind of feel heroic, almost glamorous when we make commitments. When we make commitments, it feels intense when we commit to things. Some of you know this. This is why a lot of you who went to college And then once you got to that college, you decided to join a fraternity or a sorority. And to join that fraternity or sorority, you had to go through this unbelievable, unspeakable, yeah, some of you know, unspeakable initiation rite to to get your fraternity or sorority pin. And and your your commitment, that was intense to go through that, to say, now I am a member of this fraternity or, or sorority. Others of you, maybe you didn't have that experience. But it is why you call your friends your blood brothers, or your BFFs, your, your, your best friends forever, and it and, and feels that intensity. It's why a lot of you joined the, the military, and there was this un, an amazing, unbelievable camaraderie that came about because you had this intense commitment to one another from the very earliest stages of boot camp, e- even... Even me, a lot of you know I'm, I'm a tennis player, and, and, and tennis, or well, I was a tennis player, now I'm just a preacher. But uh, uh, as, a, as, uh, as a tennis player, tennis is like the most individual sport ever. And yet, some of the best friends that I have in my life to this day are people who are on my college tennis team. Why? Because in the middle of this individual sport, we had shared commitment to one another and to these goals that we were pursuing. Commitments are relatively easy to make and thoroughly intense when we make them. And you apply all of that logic and all of that thinking to romance. Woo! There's the St. Christopher's when you're going steady. And then there's the promise ring when things are getting serious, and then there's the engagement ring when things are super serious, and then the wedding ring when it's all official. And sometimes that's followed by the suffer ring, and... <laughs> and 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 these days, all of those moments are they not? All of these moments are Instagrammed and they are Tiktoked. So when you when, when you get engaged to somebody, I mean, there's those photos online 10 minutes later. Who would have ever thought of that in my day? So the, the images of these commitments and their intensity, they are permanent. Everything is permanent now. And those images are, are permanent even if the commitment ends up not being permanent. Because you know this, and commitments are easy to make, intense when you make them, and very, very hard to keep. Because even in the middle of the best of in- com- commitments, the most intense of beginnings, with the best of intentions, things happen. And life collapses. Commitments break. Some of you lived through this when your parents got divorced. And some of you lived through this when you got divorced. And some of you live through this when a friend betrayed you or you betrayed a friend or the company to whom you had given your heart and soul for years and years and decades and decades it took your job overseas or when the denomination you're a part of changed its core your commitments easy to make, intense when you make them. And then when they get broken, the fallout is so very heavy. Some of you are living in the middle of it now and and you wonder, well, why does this happen? Why do people make commitments with such good intentions and then do not commit? Keep them and some of you look back on the commitments that you have made and that you have broken because when the glamour of the commitment met the gutter of reality, it was too much to bear. And when you ask that question why, I think in so many ways that that, that the answer is embedded in the question that the the seeds of betrayal are planted in the soil of abandonment. Because did you hear what I've been saying? That commitments, when we make them, they are intense. We we feel these commitments in the early stages, and we feel them with intensity. Think about that when it comes to relations, to to romance. Woo! There's that buzz you feel at eye contact. Early stages. There's There's the adrenaline that comes with the touch on the arm. There's the amazing date that you can't wait to go tell your friends about. And then in the 21st century, there is this modern day miracle that makes you feel so intense and you know what that is? That when they really are as good looking as their dating app photo, and you're like, oh my goodness, this really happened, and it all feels so intense, and it's not just in relationships, it's why some of you are dazzled by the bright lights in the big city of a new job, and you end up leaving the job you like for the job that you think you're going to love, because you think, you, you dread boring and predictable and routine, and, and you think that boring is the opposite of alive, and so you leave the job you like for the one you think you're going to love, and that ends up being the one you And it's all because all of these relationships start out in intensity, the the moment, the glitz and the glamour, intensity. Intensity is why you moved in with that guy three weeks after you met him. Intensity is why you sucker punched your friend after a night of drinking. Intensity is why you left that mate for the new enticement. And some of you, you grew up in the relational fallout of that intensity because you had a mom or you had a dad. And they couldn't deal with consistent and they couldn't deal with predictable. And they found someone more exciting and more enticing. And you were left in the lurch. Intensity, intensity is why you paid for that abortion or had that season in rehab. Yeah, intensity makes a really, really good story and really, really bad relational fallout. And in the ways that we can be drawn into what is intense, what is the moment, so interesting to me, that the way the authors of Scripture, the way that the author of life, Jesus himself, describes what it's like to be in connection with him. Now, do not hear what I am not saying, because there are moments in Scripture that are mind-blowing and spirit-bending, and they are intense. Jesus goes up to that mountaintop with Peter and James and John, and he really does turn inside out. It's called he's transfigured, and it's so bright you can't even bear. That was intense. And when he comes back... And I don't know if you know this or not, Jesus really is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to right every wrong and he's going to heal every hurt and he will pour out all of his love and yes, he will pour out his wrath and it will be intense. And yet in the meantime, What does Jesus say about how we maintain our connection with him in John chapter 15? Jesus is speaking to his closest followers, his inner inner circle. He's preparing them for what life without him will be like. And he goes on this little run and look at what he says. John chapter 15, verses four through seven. And anytime I read the word remain, circle it. And if you don't have a tangible Bible, it's digital circle it or do whatever you do on your phone. Just do something to note the remain. Okay. John chapter 15 verses four through seven remain. Hello. That didn't take long. Remain in me, Jesus says, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What he's telling is his men, and they're men in this case, what, you're, what he's telling his men is, is that if you gotta, you're going to advance at all, you've got to be consistent. You've got to stay in me, deeply connected to me. I'm the vine, and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burn. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Remain, remain, remain. And and as as unglamorous as it is, especially for those of us who seek attention and intensity, and those of us who, who live on adrenaline, adrenaline junkies, and Jesus says, the key to advancing in your connection with me is remaining in me. It's not always sexy. It's not always bold. It's that ability to wake up in the morning and declare with joy, the best thing about my life is that I depend on Jesus for everything. That's how you remain in Him. It's that opportunity to wake up in the morning and realize, oh, if I start my day on my device, if I check my, my news feed, my, my, my Twitter responses, my Facebook engagements, that's going to get me distracted the whole rest of the day. It is a wormhole that leads no place good. And when instead you start your day in the word and you can say, the first thing that I'm going to do on this morning is engage with God's inspired and eternal and true word that gives you perspective and that gives you peace. And I am so glad that over 2,200 people from this church and beyond are committed to doing exactly that as they get reading prompts every morning to help them go through the scripture. That's what it means to remain in him. And, and it turns out we're, we're always looking for the, if we want to advance anywhere with Jesus, we're always looking for the next high. We, we want to hype something. We want a, a moment. And Jesus says, no, it's all about momentum. It's all about, you, you, you can't advance until you stay. You, you can't have intensity until you first have some consistency. And if that's the way, that the Lord of life has us relate to himself. Remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. How much more true is that of how we relate with one another, whether it has to do with romantic relationships or friend relationships or work relationships or even among people in church? How much more true is that? Because here's what I want you to know, Good Shepherd. Here's how. If you're wondering, how can my, how can my commit level be high and stay high, and how can I have a healthy level of commitment both that I make and others make to me? And it's this. Intensity makes for a good story, but consistency makes for a great life. Yeah, so many times we're looking, and maybe our problem is that so many times we're looking for the next great high when we ought to be just looking for the next right thing intensity makes for a good story consistency makes for a great life moms and dads do you know what a favor i just did you because now when your kids or your grandchildren they come up to you with that dreaded i'm bored you know what you can say in response you're welcome and they'll look at you like you have two heads and, and you're growing a third. But and, and they'll be like, "But I'm bored. Here I am now. Entertain me." And, and and you just say in response, "You're welcome." And now they're super confused. But I'm bored. I need some stimulation. I need you to do something to to hive me up. And you can say, "No, I don't." Being bored is good. You can put that on social media. Being more bored. Is good. It's okay just to be. Now find something to do that does not involve screen time. And, and when you grow up, you will give me thanks for this. It's funny, my adult children, they're now 34 and 31. And they reminded me, not long ago, they, they reminded me of something that I, that I used to say to our son, Riley, when he was between about the ages of eight and 12. And I had forgotten it completely and they remembered it vividly, but I used to say to Riley on, on Saturday afternoons, or maybe on a, su- a summer day, I'd say, Riley, go do something productive, Wh- which meant one of two things. Go read a book, or go do some sort of athletic activity that makes you sweat. Go beeper. You can read, or you can sweat. And, and you may call me cold-hearted. I just call it good parenting. And and i can't wait to see my kids do it to their own kids <laughs> cuz intensity may make for a good story but consistency people makes for a great life for those of you who are in recovery this is why this is why you can't go back to those same friends that you used to drink with because your relationship is rooted in the intensity of that drinking experience. And it's inevitable that you'll be sucked back into that. And it, it's like the guy that, that I was talking to not long ago who did have to find a whole new friend group. And, and, and he said, you know, back when I was with my old friends and I was feeling stuff, I medicated my feelings. Now I actually have to feel my feelings. And that's really scary but really good, and so it is. Because intensity might make for a good story. Consistency makes for a great life, and and those of you who are married in the house today and and tuning in, I just want you to know that the emotions that you have, the warmth that you feel, especially especially when you're engaged and in those early years of marriage, that all that is good and all that is wonderful and I would never want it to go away, but it's gonna but it is the frosting on the cake. It's not the cake. It's the scaffolding. It's not the foundation. And so when you recognize that and you understand that, and and then you get to that place where you can realize that, oh, my marriage is not about these feelings and is not about these emotions, not even about this intensity. My marriage is about this commitment. And you'll find that commitment is more intense than, than any kind of feeling you could ever have. I tell engaged couples, because I do a lot of weddings and a lot of premarital counseling, I, and I'll tell them in premarital. You, do you realize that when you're talking to a couple who is engaged, you are talking to people who have, like, who have lost all capacity for rational thought? <laughs> They're so deeply in love. And I will tell them, I'll take that opportunity to, to this is risky. Uh, And if they get mad at me, I'm like, oh, it's just another Saturday I'll get off. And if I, I, I'll tell them, I'll I'll tell, that was mean, wasn't it? But, but so true. And I'll tell them, I'll tell them, you know, marriage is not about being in love. Marriage is about commitment. And it is. Love is great. But love is so much better when its foundation is not intensity, but its foundation is commitment. And that's where real love, authentic love comes from. This coming June of 2024, it will be 40 years that Julie and I have been married. 40 years. Now, I, I am a chore. I mean, I am, I am high, I'm tedious and high maintenance and, and, and throughout those 40 years, you know, there've been times when we weren't very much in love and, and I suspect times where we weren't very much in like and times when we were in survivor mode. And yet, somehow, as we navigated all those seasons with this underlying realization, oh, there is commitment beneath it all. We've gotten to this place 40 years later where we have such sort of delight in this thing that we have created and even in the stability and the structure that we've been able to give to those children who would be every bit as devastated if we divorced now as they would have been when they were 11 and 14 but we, we look back on that and, and we had this level of contentment with it. And the best thing about it all, Good Shepherd, the best thing about it all is that I don't complete Julie and she does not complete me because Jesus Christ completes both of us. Intensity may make for a good story, but remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. Consistency makes for a great life. Word for singles, and singles again, if I may, a little toe step into an area, in, into what some of you may be involved in in, in, in the middle of right now, and, and some of you may have had it in your past, and some of you may be pondering it in the future, and it is what we call delicately cohabitation, people moving in together before they are married. And I just want you to know that When couples cohabitate, this whole model is all out of whack. Because what you have is you got extraordinary high levels of knowledge because you're living together, high levels of trust, super high levels of rely, and super, super high levels of touch because that's a major reason you moved in together. And yet what's missing commitment is because there's no marriage. There's no meaningful commitment to one another. And because of that, people who are cohabitating, and again, this may be some of you right now, in which case I'm so glad you're here. Hear this with love and not judgment. I just want you to know the truth. And, and people who are cohabitating, because they, this, they don't know this is going on, but it is. And the commitment is absolutely missing. They don't realize it, but it is. And because of that reality, so many people who are cohabitating feel entrapped, even if they don't have the words for it. And out of that sense of entrapment, you know what ends up happening? People hopscotch from one move-in relationship to another. And I know this because you tell me, because I've seen it. And another thing that happens with this cohabitation model is that people, at some point, level begin to say oh yeah there's no commitment and 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 they're like well we you know we we took it for a test drive and it's it's working okay so we might as well and people go ahead and get married ignoring the warning signs and the red flags and they go ahead anyway and for some of you for some of you who who are married now this was how your relationship began and i simply want you to know oh by the way, I'll come back to that in just a minute, but the reality what I just described for you is why there was a, a non-religious, did you catch this? Not religious, not biased towards Christianity or the Bible, study of cohabitation came out in 2010, and the psychologist came out with this assessment. Check it out. The major practical implication of this review is that psychologists can inform the public that in spite of popular belief, premarital cohabitation leads to negative outcomes in terms of marital quality and marital stability in the United States. And you're like, well, why didn't somebody tell me this before? I just did. And the Bible had done it for a long, long time before that. It's amazing, isn't it, when social science just sort of proves (laughs) What what inspired scripture has been telling us all along. So if you're married today, and this is how your relationship began, I just want you to know your foundation of your marriage has a crack. Because Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says this, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. And you didn't. And I just want you to acknowledge that before God. For you to have a moment of rigorous honesty with the Lord and and say, our foundation has a crack, Lord. We cannot fix the crack. We ask you to do so. And he will. Because he's a good God. And he wants the marriages I'm talking about to be beautiful. And if today you are single or single again, and you are cohabitating now, I just want to invite you, thank you so much, so glad you're here, make it right. And you can make it right in a a couple ways, you can uncohabitate, I just made up a word. You can uncohabitate, the world will continue to revolve on its axis, God will bless you for your obedience, Or, or you can look at the red flags, you can deal with the warning signs, and you can get married. I've done plenty of those marriages, had plenty of those awkward conversations, and couples always tell me they appreciate the honesty and they're ready to deal with the awkwardness of taking this thing and making it right and making it good in God's eyes. I just want to invite you to do that, to recognize, oh yeah, we found ourselves in this place because intensity made for a good story. Hey, we're moving in. We want consistency to make for a great life. Hey, we're surrendered to Jesus. And some of you may be thinking, man, what an order! I can't go through with it. Guess what? You can't, but He can cuz just a couple of verses after Hebrews 13:4 about the marriage bed is Hebrews 13:8 and I just love this. It says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so he is good shepherd. You can be consistent because he is continual. And, and you can have momentum in your life, healthy godly momentum cuz he's momentous. <laughs> And your life can have a direction when he's the destination. And actually, no commitment you make to anyone in your life will ever, ever surpass the commitment that he makes to you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever and his commitment to you will empower your good, godly commitments to one another. Let's pray. God, thank you that you invite us to remain in you. And I simply pray that you'll take us deep. <laughs> and being able to say every day, man, I depend on Jesus for everything. And I thank you that you are risen from the dead and still alive and the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.